Welcome to Fourth and Two Strikes. I'm your host, Cole Lanny, and today we'll be going through a multitude of topics, including last night's MLB Hall of Fame results. We'll be going through championship weekend in the NFL, and we're going to get a collective bargaining agreement update for Major League Baseball. But first, let's start with this. The class of 2022 now has a new Hall of Famer joining the likes of the Golden Days Early Era Baseball Committee's ballot back in early December. So be joining Jim Cott, Tony Oliva, the late Bud Fowler, Gil Hodges, Minnie Minoso, and Buck O'Neill will be David Ortiz. Congratulations, Big Poppy, on making Cooperstown. While this is great news, as we needed a Hall of Famer to join, as last year we did not have anybody on the ballot get in. However, this is a travesty. MLB's all-time home run leader is no longer on the ballot. MLB's all-time Cy Young Award winner no longer on the ballot. One of the clutchest postseason pitchers of all time. Not on the ballot. A guy who helped rejuvenize baseball back in the summer of 1998. No longer on the ballot. So may the souls of Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Kurt Schilling, and Sammy Sosa live on in baseball history as they will not be remembered in the Hall of Fame. But as of now. David Ortiz was the only guy that realistically he barely made it truly he only got 77.9% of the vote but the other guys I know 66% sounds good for Bonds and 65.2 for Clemens which I don't know how you don't vote for both of them makes no sense that's still a lot off that's looking at roughly I don't know 30 some voters that's a lot of guys that convince to get get in. And yes, you trend it upwards from your 34% at the beginning, which you know who checks right in at 34.3% was Alex Rodriguez. So now that the fates are sealed of Bonds, Clemens, and Sosa, even Sosa only gets 18.5% of the vote, which makes zero sense why you would vote for Bonds, Clemens, and not Sosa. We now have a new president set. Even the greatest players with any connection to steroids will not be getting into Cooperstown anytime soon. Bonds, Clemens, the whole Balco scandal, Clemens trainer testifying that he took steroids. Bonds seeing his head size grow by 10 and his biceps triple from what 98 to 99. No, not in the Hall of Fame. And I I don't understand why. Because you have guys in the Hall of Fame already that do have steroid connections. David Ortiz was mentioned in the Mitchell Report as he was part of the voluntary test back in 2003 in which he failed. We don't know for what, and I'm not blaming him for that. But his name is linked to steroids. Guys like 
Mike Piazza were linked to steroids at some point or another. Jose Canseco called out Pod Rodriguez in his book where he called out everybody that he was on steroids. Yet those guys are in the Hall of Fame. Yet we don't put Bond and Clemens. Makes zero sense. How can you put a guy like Ortiz in the Hall of Fame with steroid connections, yet not arguably the greatest hitter of all time and arguably the greatest pitcher of all time? Not only that, we don't even have the all-time hits leader in the Hall of Fame. We don't have a guy that's top 10 batting average of all time in Shoeless Joe Jackson in the Hall of Fame. We are leaving out clear all-time great players. I, I don't know where to go from here now that Bonds and Clemens are off the ballot. Because Sheffield Topes are over. So is A-Rods. So are Manny Ramirez. Sosa's already off the ballot. Any guy that has ever been linked to steroids, it's over. Unless, unless the Veterans Committee votes in either of them next year. The Veterans Committee for Modern Day Baseball will meet next year and decide if any of Bonds, Clemens, as a part of many, can be considered for the Hall of Fame. I don't see it happening quite yet, and they meet again in 2025. But what a heartbreaker. It makes no sense. And I sit here recording. It... it, depresses me that we have such double standards when it comes to the voting. The Hall of Fame is a place to acknowledge baseball's history and where it has come from. And even guys like Sammy Sosa, who clearly did steroids, his stats weren't great beforehand. What he did for baseball in 1998 could not go unnoticed. He brought us back on the map after a strike. Let's look at the positives. Scott Rowland, trending in the right direction, might be a Hall of Famer next year, if not in two. Todd Helton, trending in the right right direction. And now that Larry Walker has broke the glass ceiling that Colorado Rockies players have had, he's going the right way. Billy Wagner, 51%. That's going to be a close call. Andrew Jones at 41%. Again, it's going to be another close call. But I think now that we've got a lot of these names off the ballot, I think there's a lot more opportunity for these guys to gain votes. Because now the ballots aren't clogged up with having to vote for Bonds, having to vote for Clemens, having to vote for Sosa, having to vote for Schilling. It's no longer necessary. I would honestly... If Bonds and Clemens don't get in next year, do the Veterans Committee. I don't know how you could vote for Sheffield, A-Rod, Manny Ramirez. Or even Andy Pettit has steroids linked to him. I don't know how you vote for any of those guys. Because if the greatest of all, of all the steroid guys can't get in, then nobody can. As simple as that in my opinion. So next year, when I come back and try to get my vote again, I'm going to be skeptical about voting for A-Rod, Sheffield, and Manny. 
he with Sosa, Clemens, Bonds, they they were, and Ortiz, in my opinion, they were the steroid seven. The seven guys that have dirt on all of them and guys that were connected to steroids linked in some way or another. You look at next year's ballot, and the good news is there's a lot of way for Roland, Helen, and Wagner. I expect them all to be up big time, and I hope Andre Jones is as well. Jeff Kent, I believe next year's is last year. I could be wrong. could be two more years. And that would be the only other guy that can get a boost. Because now that Ortiz is gone, Bonds and Clemens, the highest voting guy would be Roland. Schilling's gone. Heldon's next. And you clear off some of the steroid guys. And honestly, if you don't, if they can't get in, then if you don't vote for Sheffield, Rodriguez, Manny, that's seven votes on my ballot personally this year that might not be there next year. And I will vote Roland, Helen, Wagner, Andre Jones for sure. And probably Bobby Bray. Those are five. I'll tell you, I vote for next year. But other than that, I don't know what I don't know what my ballot looks like. And obviously, it's too far in the future to tell that. But I don't know. I don't know if I could vote for A Rod now. I don't know if I could vote for those guys because if Bonds and Cummins can't get in, none of them can. I've always been an all or nothing guy in that regard. All right, it's enough Hall of Fame. We need to pump the brakes a little bit on this, and let's transition here into the NFL. We are approaching championship weekend after probably the single greatest divisional playoff round of all time, including maybe my favorite game I have ever watched of all time on what happened Sunday night between the Bills and Chiefs. How does that happen? How does... Gabriel Davis, of all people, and I give it. I loved Gabriel Davis. He was a big time sleeper for me in fantasy, but I did not expect him to play. Put up four touchdowns. He talking about fantasy. He broke the all time fantasy points record in the playoffs. Isn't that amazing, Gabriel freaking Davis? Uh, uh, uncanny what he did. And then Tyreek Hill does what Tyreek Hill does. He gets the ball in his hands, and he makes magic happen. And then Bills go down score again with Gabriel Davis. Leave 13 seconds on the clock. I'm like, oh, this game is over. Uh, here comes marching in Patrick Mahomes. And two throws later with an absolute seed of a seam route to Travis Kelsey, which I don't know how you don't give inside leverage on that play because you have two timeouts. Kansas City does. Has two timeouts left so they could clock. They can stop the clock, so you don't need to press the outside. Honestly, I would try to leverage inside and make the guy work out because that what that does, that takes more time off the clock. You only had eight seconds left when you run that play. I don't know how you let him get open. But what a throw. What a catch. What a clutch kick by Harrison Bucker, and I knew whoever won that coin toss in overtime was going to win the game. Talking about that, can we address how bad the NFL's overtime rules are? Look, I'm all in support of a shorter game that's less injuries. And 
getting the product on the field, not having it super diluted by having the college problem with 19 overtimes or whatever the heck Indiana and Penn State did this year with the alternating two-point conversion that score. And it scores like 18-16. It was an awful football game. But in my opinion, you need to change one thing. Change the overtime rules in the postseason. I'm okay if you keep them in the regular season. It's like baseball's stupid ghost runner on second base in the 10th inning that they done the last two years. Worst role ever. How do you start with a man on second? It makes no sense. It's it's a ghost runner. It, it, it makes zero sense why some guy can start on second base. You can bunt him over, hit a sack fly. You could get two outs, and you could be losing the baseball game. It makes no sense. And... I'm glad, I believe the MLB is going to pivot off that when the CBA comes out. But I was okay with that rule. Maybe later, I don't know, the 13th, 14th thing. When a game starts to drag. But not in the 10th. Not even in the 11th. I'd be, maybe I'd consider the 12th. I believe that's what the World Baseball Classic does. Starting in the 12th thing, they give you a runner in second. I'm okay with that. Not the 10th inning. It's... A lot of games end before they go to 15 innings and 19, 20, whatever a game goes to. A lot of games end before that. Unless you're an early 2000s Pirates fan and you had to witness the Jerry Meals call in the 19th inning against the Braves in 2011. And then they had a game against the Cardinals of all of the year that went 19 innings as well. Unless you are part of those teams. Most games don't end up going that far. And that's, but you notice the MLB eliminated that rule for the playoffs, meaning they didn't have that issue in the playoffs. That's why I'd be okay is if you kept the rule to limit injuries, because I know that's the goal, because the more plays, the more injuries, the longer guys on the field, the more fatigued, the more likely they are to get injured. And I know that's the number one thing when it comes to anything. That's why we moved the kickoff up. Kickoff up. That's why I moved the touchback up. We're trying to limit the full-fledged contact injuries on dangerous football plays. But please change the overtime rules in the playoffs. I've looked at the stats, and in the last 11 games in playoff history, 10 of the 11 teams that won the coin toss won the game. And the only exception is the 2019 NFC Championship game where the Saints got hosed out of going to the Super Bowl by the no-call on Tommy Lee Jones down near the goal line. Tommy Lee Lewis. But 10 of 11, and 7 of them have went down, scored the touchdown, it's over. That's too much. It happened in Super Bowl 51 with the Patriots and the Falcons. The Falcons' defense was gas. They were on the field the whole game. But you know what you do? I think I could solve the issue. You make them go for two if they get the touchdown. That way, you make both teams do it. In that manner, then, hopefully we can end after. If both teams match each other on touchdowns, hopefully we can end. One gets two, one doesn't. But in the playoffs, you, you need to change the rules. Now, if each team possesses the ball, that's like I need each team to possess the ball. As in, if you score a touch, touchdown, fair game, they have to match your touchdown. If you get a field goal, they get a field goal, then we keep going. Like it's that's how overtime rules work. But like, I need both teams to get 
possession of the football. It's simple as that. It's an awful, awful, awful rule. The best analogy I heard is that it's like hitting a walk-off when we're at the top of the 10th. That doesn't even, it doesn't matter. It's it's the top of the tenth inning. Josh Hamilton had a go ahead home run back in the two thousand eleven World Series in Game Six, tenth inning. Should the game been over? Because it should be sudden death. No. The Cardinals came back, scored. Lance Berkman single. They score. David Freeze in the eleventh. We all know. You're drastically changing the outcome of games, important games, by the flip of a coin. Makes no sense to me. All right, let's talk about this weekend. We've got the Bengals at Chiefs. We've seen this matchup just a couple of weeks ago where the Bengals showed who they really are that they're a very good football team. And they took down the Chiefs in Cincinnati. That's the thing to remember. We are moving to Arrowhead. Arrowhead's a very tough place to play Patrick Mahomes in January. Only one loss, and that's because D4 lined up offsides in the 2018 AFC Championship game. That's all. They're a very, very, very hard team to play at home. Mahomes has one interception at home in the playoffs in his career. That's going to be a tough game. I think Cincinnati needs to play one of the better games they've played all year if they want a shot at winning that game. Looking at, we'll go to the other side before we start talking about spreads. Looking at the other side, we have Rams, Niners, three. Third time this year. Don't you love when the divisional rivals beat each other, especially in the championship game? It gives me shades of the 2008 AFC championship game, Baltimore going to Pittsburgh. What a game that was. Hard-nosed football. It was cold. Troy Palmos seals the game. That's good football, and that's what I'm hoping we're going to get here. And we all know the bugaboo of Shanahan and McVay. The Niners have taken six in a row against the Rams. Just when everyone thinks that Sean McVay is the young coach, the future He's good-looking. He's smart. He recalls everything. There's a guy that has his number, and he might be slightly older, only seven years. He's still a young man at 42. Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan was the original young genius coach. Remember, when he got the Niners job, everyone was like, whoa, watch out for this kid. And what does he do that year? They trade for Jimmy Garoppolo, and he goes undefeated when Jimmy G starts. He was poised to take that step to the next level. And you see now with Shanahan make it to a Super Bowl, very similar to McVay, man, man. And then going back to the playoffs a couple of years later with a quarterback in which you believe is limited. That's why the Niners traded all those picks of the Dolphins and got Trey Lance. Shanahan wants what McVay has. McVay has a star at quarterback. Matthew Stafford is a star. One of the best arm talents I have ever seen. He makes throws in clutch situations better than anyone I know. But he played for the Lions. And those clutch throws in those situations, you know what all that did? It made the Lions record one game better. So it took them from, at that time, being 5-11 to 6-10. That's all it did. 
But there's a reason McVay's offense looks different this year. It doesn't look limited. He's pulled out all of the stops with Stafford. And Stafford could be erratic at times. But man, is it pretty when it works. And that's all McVay wanted. He wanted a guy that he could open up the full playbook to and that he knew no matter what he did, he would, the guy making the throw could execute. And I hope Trey Lance, I hope the best for him, and I hope he's the same way. I hope he's Shanahan's new toy that he could use to run Shanahan's offense that he likes to use. Because we know Shanahan's a run-first offense. Well, you got a quarterback that could run. Jimmy G's a limited pocket passer that opens up the playbook by he's a good play-action passer. He's enough mobility to do that. But he doesn't have enough mobility to run for 10 yards. Trey Lance does. Trey Lance is a going to be a very, very complex and interesting case next year because he's barely thrown the football over the last couple of years. And I hope this year helps him. He needed a city year. He went to North Dakota State, and they didn't play football in the COVID pandemic year. Trey Lance is super exciting, and I hope this matchup between these two coaches is a joy for years to come. All right, we'll have enough of me ranting about how Trey Lance and Matthew Stafford or, you know, whatever. Let's talk about the lines for this weekend. So first we're going to go to the AFC. Looking at FanDuel Sportsbook right now, the line is Chiefs minus seven. I think that sounds a little high, but maybe where I'd put it. Um... And uh, we'll just go to the other side first before we talk about these lines or a little bit more about these. Um, Rams favored by three and a half. That sounds right. I would maybe put that at three. Maybe I'd move the other game to a six. But the, the Vegas is, knows what they're doing. And I don't touch over-unders. I'm not a big guy into those numbers. But the big thing to see here is if you believe that Shanahan owns McVay, you take the Niners, but you don't take the Niners to cover. You take their money line at plus 154. And if you believe Joe Burrow is that special and he could dethrone the king of the AFC for the second time this year, which has never been done. No one's beat him twice in one year. Take Bengals money line plus 275 and let me tell you why. Research has shown that over the last three years, out of all playoff games, the underdog to cover the spread when they cover all but once have they straight up won. So what I'm trying to get at here is if you believe the Niners, you like the Niners at that value or you like the Bengals at that value, fine, put a little bit on that, but sprinkle the money line. Because there's only been one team to cover the spread as an underdog and not straight up win. So it's either the 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 favorite wins or the underdog straight up wins and covers in the process. So if you have any m- money to throw around and you believe w- one of these games could be an upset, as in you like the you think hey Shanahan owns McVay I like the three and a half you know what don't even do the three and a half 
do the money line plus 154. It's the better value pick. If you love the Bengals plus seven, I would I would put money on the money line. I think that's where your best value comes from. All right, let's turn chapter here. Not talk about betting anymore. Let's talk about a little bit of the key players in these games to watch out for. In the Kansas City-Cincinnati game, I have a list here of guys that I believe will you're going to watch and you're going to see them all over the field. And if they play well, their team has a good shot at winning. For Cincinnati, I got Burrow, obviously. I got Chase, Higgins, Mixon, and Hendrickson. So four offensive guys, two receivers, which I think it's going to be huge because Chase burned them a lot in the first game. I think it's going to be huge for Higgins to have a great day as well because I think they're going to really shade over on Chase's side of the field a lot because they don't want him putting up the 203 touchdowns that he did last time. I think you really need to get T. Higgins involved in this passing game. And if he's involved, you're in a very good spot. Also, not to mention the slot receiver, Tyler Boyd. Tyler Boyd put up over 800 yards in the regular season. If you could get the ball his way, and maybe if you could get the double coverage on Chase, utilize your other two receivers. They're both very good. I think Mixon, they need to control time of possession. And I think Mixon is a key to that. He's a hard-nosed runner, finished with over 1,000 yards. He needs to run like he's been running all year. And I believe Trey Hendrickson plays the biggest role in that defense. I think Jesse Bates is great as well. But I think Trey Hendrickson is the disruptor. He's always in the backfield. He feels like he gets sack a game. He wears the no football gloves, which I don't know how he does. But Trey Hendrickson is an impact maker. There's a reason they paid him all that money in free agency last year to lure him away from the Saints. Trey Hendrickson wreaks havoc. He's a game wrecker. And that can't go unnoticed on the game on Sunday. On the other side, we have Kansas City. I got Mahomes, Hill, Kelsey, and does Tyron Matthew play on the defense? Because I think Tyron Matthew is instrumental in what that defense does. You saw them let up all those yards in that game against the Bills because they had Danny Sorensen on the field too much. I they need Tyree Kill to be back. Or not Tyree Kill. Tyron Matthew to be back from his concussion. If so. I like the Chiefs in that game to win. I'm not going to give you gambling advice, but I, I do like them to win. If Tyron Matthew plays. If he doesn't, definitely sprinkle Cincinnati's money line. All right, let's run through these other two teams. We got San Fran. The most the best player in San Francisco, I don't care what anyone says, is Trent Williams. Best run blocker in the league. Best left tackle in the league. What he did last week in motion on a bum ankle when he takes out Rashawn Gary, who's had a fantastic year for the Packers. What a gutsy performance from Trent Williams last week. Unbelievable. Debo Samuel is the biggest Swiss Army knife in this league. He's a running back. He's a receiver. He's a better version of Cordero Patterson, to be frank with you. And I didn't know Cordero Patterson could do all that he does. A great player. I think Ayuk's got to have a big day because I think Ramsey's going to be a lot on Debo. So I think Ayuk's really going to have to show his value, especially if the recently unretired Eric Weddle is sh- shadowing him over the top. I think I use the big X factor here on the offense. I think Kittle's going to have a good day. I think you got to get him the ball a couple of times. 
Nick Bosa is going to be in the backfield, and Fred Warner, hopefully he's healthy, healthier than he was last week, and I hope he plays an instrumental role in the if they have a chance at winning. For the Rams, Stafford, just don't turn the ball over. Just don't turn the ball over, Stafford, and you, you're going to win the game. Your team's too good. Cooper Cup's the best receiver in football right now. What he does is unbelievable. His routes are incredible. The way he knows how to sit in defenses, remarkable. Cam Akers, watch out for Cam Akers. He's coming off a two-fumble week. Let's see how that's in his head. Let's see if he's all up there right now. If the if he's the athlete that he is and he's out of his own mind or out of his head, he'll be fine. He's going to have a great day. OBJ, OBJ seems to catch a touchdown every game that he plays for the freaking Rams. I don't know why, but he does. Uh, Von Miller, watch out for Von Miller, especially if Trent Williams, who did not practice today. If he doesn't play, Von's going to have a field day. Ramsey's obviously got to cover Debo, best corner in the league. Leonard Floyd's a big impact linebacker. AD, I mean, what is it more to say about Aaron Donald? He's probably this right now the second best defensive player in the league, in my opinion, behind TJ Watt, because I think TJ Watt just does so much pat rushing the passer that it doesn't even matter with the fact that you have 22 and a half sacks. I don't even there's no one that compares to that right now in the NFL. AD is unbelievable, though, and track record-wise, probably the best defensive player if you're going to take the last four to five years into sample size. And the question is, does Andrew Whitworth play? After sitting out last week due to an ankle injury, If does Andrew Whitworth play? If he plays, he's going to go against Bosa. So watch that matchup. So my two matchups to watch are an injured Trent Williams against Vaughn Miller and an injured Andrew Whitworth against Nick Bosa. Those are the matchups to watch. And if you believe one, if Trent Williams is out or Whitworth, you definitely want to sprinkle each other's money line or to cover the spread. Up to you. All right, let's pivot into this. Before I give you my predictions for what's going to happen this weekend, I want to touch on the potential Super Bowl matchups that we could be seeing February 13th in LA. First, let's talk about Niners Chiefs. It would be a rematch of Super Bowl 54. Let's see if Jimmy G can get that revenge for that deep post route that he missed Emmanuel Sanders. We've seen that Super Bowl. I feel like it would play this play out the same way. Not too many different pieces on either side. Yes, the Niners now have Trent Williams, the emergence of Debo. You know, he was a rookie that year. Ayuk wasn't on that team. Bosa's rookie year pre-ACL, but I I think that would go the same way that it probably that it did in real life, and I think it might even be a bit more lopsided because I think Mahomes really fine-tuned a lot since then. He's learned a lot since that Super Bowl, and I don't think the Niners defense is as good as it was that year. We got Rams, Bengals. Now, this game would be very, very interesting because you would have had the guy that can never win a playoff game, and then the guy on the franchise that can never win a playoff game. The Bengals hadn't won a playoff game in 31 seasons going into this year. What a story would that be. Two former number one overall picks. One who couldn't win with his original team because they were cursed, and now they're the one with the longest playoff drought. Playoff winless drought. And the guy who did it actually did it. Both were number nine. 
both superbly talented and but but mistake prone and have been known to play with some of the better of receivers at their time with now the two all-time leaders in yards per in a season both playing with Matthew Stafford and Calvin Johnson in 2012 and Cooper Cup this year and then Jamar Chase set, setting the casually setting the rookie record for yards over Justin Jefferson last year that would be one very interesting matchup. And the thing to be watched about that game would be Andrew Whitworth played for the Bengals for a very long time and then moved to the Rams. And, man, wouldn't it be sweet revenge to get your ring against the team you played for for all them years? The next matchup we'll look to is the Niners-Bengals. The most unlikely matchup, as they're both the underdogs this weekend. and. This game would be very interesting because you have Cincinnati with their franchise quarterback and the Niners think they have the franchise quarterback, but he's waiting in the wings. And that game would be some of the best young receiving talent in the NFL with Higgins, Chase, Ayuk and Debo, but and it's just that the matchup's not very appealing. Appealing for me as a football fan, yes, but not appealing for the general public. They don't want to see a small market like Cincinnati and a bigger market, yes, in San Francisco. But that's not the game everyone wants to see. the The Niners Chiefs would draw a pretty good audience so would rams as the rams are at home too to remember and the niners are so close to the rams it's virtually at home so either of them going to the soup well one of them will which means the stadium is going to be predominantly of one team in favor of the nfc but probably the least appealing matchup easily out of the four and it, it would be a tough sell for the NFL, the thing they would have to market is the fact they played twice in the 80s, and that's with Joe Montana and Ken Anderson, which, and Boomer Sciences in the second time for the Bengals. And they would have to market like the drive that Montana had at the end of the game to win it in 81, and then beating him again to kind of cap off a decade of dominance that Montana's Niners had at that time. So we would have, this would be the third time seeing that Super Bowl. It's the only time the Bengals have ever made the Super Bowl. They've had to play San Francisco, funny enough. But this just doesn't have that marketability that some other games maybe would. And that, that leads me into the game everybody wants. Rams-Chiefs. Everybody wants it. Don't, don't they all? And... You have the the current greatest play caller in the history of football, in my opinion, Andy Reid, and the up-and-comer that wants to dethrone him in Sean McVay. And I think that creates one very, very good storyline for that game. Not only then you have the quarterbacks in Stafford and Mahomes, both uberly talented, with some of the greatest offensive pieces in the league. For crying out loud... 
you would have Hill, Cup, Cam Akers, probably CEH would be back at that point, Kelsey, Tyler Higby's a good receiver or a good tight end, OBJ. That is an amazing, amazing matchup. And you know what? I've watched football over the last couple of years, and the matchup that everyone wants in the Super Bowl, once we get down to the point right now, I don't think it's happened in the last couple of years. And I know some people wanted the... I know last year probably was the second most wanted, in my opinion, the Chiefs box, the Brady-Mahomes rematch. But I think a lot of people wanted to see Rodgers versus Mahomes, personally. Because in that sense of the matter, you get two guys that are just wizards with the football. And given Brady's the GOAT, but Brady doesn't make the throws that Rodgers does or the throws that Mahomes does at the arm angles and the mobility to pull out of the pocket and just flip it downfield 50 yards off your back foot like Rodgers does. Those games, those that matchup would have been fantastic. And... Then the year before, you got the Chiefs and Niners, but I think, again, Chiefs-Packers might have been a little bit more desired because I think everyone to see Mahomes play against Rodgers. And we missed it this year because Rodgers was immunized and not vaccinated and couldn't play in that game, and we missed a fantastic matchup. I thought it was going to be the game of the year. And the year before that, it's clear that Nobody wanted to see the Patriots play the Rams at that time. I think everyone wanted to see Brady versus Breeze. We never got a Rodgers and Brady Super Bowl. Everyone wanted it. We never got a Kobe-LeBron NBA Finals. The matchup that you want usually doesn't happen. And I do think the Rams are the better team, and I do I know the Chiefs are the better team. Well, maybe not because the Bengals do have their number right now. But I, I think that's the match of everyone's ones. And I think it could absolutely happen. This year seems feels a little bit differently, but didn't all the last couple of years. And I think that's going to lead me into my prediction. I think it is super hard to beat Mahomes twice in one year. Especially the fact of what the emotional high of what coming off last week that the Chiefs played. However, I think Burroughs got that ice in his veins enough to overcome that. I mean, I don't think Arrowhead will really affect him. Him and Chase just have such a connection from LSU from the national championship year against Clemson. I would sprinkle Cincinnati money line, but I'm going to pick the Chiefs in the game because I think for the Bengals to win, they're going to need a couple lucky about lucky bounces and a couple balls to bounce their way and a couple turnovers. Niners Rams is very interesting because every time I think McVeigh is going to finally beat Shanahan, like last game of the regular season where I was like, okay, McVeigh's got in hand. And then he blew his first halftime lead in his entire coaching career, and they lost in overtime because Stafford made a dumb pick. Stafford has not played well at all against the Niners. 
And I hope that changes. I love Matthew Stafford, but I'm skeptical about it because I do think there is a chance the Niners have his number and know what defense defensive schemes give him fits. And so in that regard, I, I th- would not be shocked at all if the Rams won, but I'm, I'm going to pick the Niners. I, I think it's unless Trent Williams doesn't play. If Trent Williams does not play, this is a whole different story. I'm going to pick the Niners, though, because I don't think we usually see the best matchup that everybody wants in the Super Bowl. And I hope I'm wrong. I really do. I hope I see Chiefs-Rams in the Super Bowl. That's a fantastic game, and I'd be super excited for it. Unfortunately, I don't think it's going to happen, so I would definitely take Niners' money line. I would sprinkle. I'm going to take the Chiefs to win. I I probably won't touch the spread there. I think seven's a little high, but not enough for me to make a confident bet. I wouldn't do anything with that. So I'm going to take a rematch, and the opening spread right now for that would be Chiefs minus three. I would pound the heck out of that. I think the Chiefs are the better team. They have the better quarterback. Simple as that. Better quarterbacks usually win the Super Bowl usually win the game. I mean, obviously everyone knew Nick Foles better than Tom Brady that year. (laughs) So my Super Bowl prediction will be Chiefs defeating the Niners. I will go on record saying that now. But I hope I'm wrong, and I hope we get to see a Rams-Chiefs Super Bowl. And if we do, we will talk about that next week, and we will start our coverage of the Super Bowl and all the headlines coming out and reviewing la- these two games, which are, I don't know if they live up to what last week's games were, but I hope they do. All right, let's end with this. Let's end with our collective bargaining agreement update for Major League Baseball. The Players Union, MLBPA, and the owners have met twice this week, which is significantly more progress than what we've seen since the lockout starting on December 2nd. The players won a lot, and so did the owners. So a couple weeks ago, the owners came with their proposal, and the players have countered. And now they've already started to take out some of the things that seem a little unreasonable at this point, like the players took out their what they wanted to restructure years of control so they could lessen the years that they had until free agency so they can make more money. They've already – that's gone. That's axed. I think the arbitration system was probably going to stay the same. I would probably get rid of Super 2s, but probably going to stay the same. Uh, the big thing I took away from it was the players proposed that the top – if. You were a top 30 player in war in the MLB, meaning you were probably the best on your team, if not the second best. You and you are pre-arbitration, so you were in your first two or three years of service time before your third full year. You are entitled to get a bonus pool money. Now, that's very interesting because now you're compensating players who are fresh into the league that are definitely worth that money, yet are stuck on these rookie contracts making like 600000 a year, 600000 700000 a year. 
So guys at that point in time, I think back two years ago, like Juan Soto. Juan Soto 2019 was a top 30 player in this league. And he was compensated as if he was a rookie. And that that's not fair. The guy was incredible. And because of how good he is, he should have been entitled to more money, which this is what that is trying to do. However, the money seems to be super far apart, so I don't know if we're going to get that at all. Uh, another thing to watch is the luxury tax. I know the players wanted to go up a lot, and the owners really don't want it to go up a lot because they lost all that money, apparently. I don't know how. During the 2020 season, yes, you lost money, but you can't say you were hemorrhaging the money in which you say you were. I know you get a lot of local TV money, but you're billionaires. Figure it out. It's pocket change for you. A couple million bucks ain't going to kill you. I think it's good to see that they are making progress with the CBA. And I hope they continue meeting. I know it's going to be a little ugly here with stories coming out, this and that. But I I would be okay with the modified spring training. But I want spring training to start relatively on time. Maybe a week or two after would be fine. But I want MLB to have their season start April 1. And as simple as that. And if you don't, it's a failure. It's a failure on both sides. I always side with the players. Hardly ever do I side with the owners. But I need to side with both of both the ends when I say this has to be done by April 1st. It is simple as that. It has to be done. We need to have opening day, April 1. We need to have national anthem being sung with the flag out on the outfield, the big outstretched flag, and people on the line with their hands behind their back. If not, it's... Oh, I can't even imagine a situation which... And, and I don't think it will happen. I think it will be done. I think we will be playing baseball sooner than later. But I want this to be done soon because I would uh, get these free agents signed. There's a big free agent from Houston... Played shortstop, bang, bang on the trash can. Carlos Correa, he's on the open market, and he just switched clients, too. He's with Scott Boris now, so expect a lot of moolah going into his pocket soon. So I think baseball is going to happen soon, and I think it's a we're in a good spot that they have now met twice in the last week, and that is now three times over the last, what, three months or two over two almost two months. Progress. It might not be a lot, but it is progress. Can't say the same for a Hall of Fame voters, considering we have guys like Rob Parker giving a ballot, which he voted for Bonds, Clemens, Sheffield, and Sosa, and nobody else because he said Ortiz wasn't good enough before steroids. Yeah, Sammy Sosa had, had a 30-30 season. Yeah, but last time I checked, he didn't have 360 home run seasons. Your argument is asinine. You had a guy, Barry Ponce, who won four consecutive MVPs on steroids. I get he had three MVPs before, and he was great, but he was a great player, not Jesus Christ with a baseball bat. And, okay, I can't, I can't get back into this argument. I'm just going to get more and more furious at baseball writers. Can we also change the name from BBWAA? Because it's the Baseball Writers Association of America – but the B, this association so old that there's two, the B's are for baseball when those are two separate words. Beyond the point. I'm beyond, I'm beyond that. Not really. But I think we're going to wrap up here and 
I will talk to you probably post this weekend, and we will do a recap of the NFL, and we'll see if there's any more progress with the CBA. And catch you around. Thank you.